Hey everyone, this is Brian Ferguson. If you're listening to this, then I know you are enjoying the Bumps and Thumbs podcast. In order to continue to run the podcast and get guests on the show, we need support from people like you. Please go to anchor.fm forward slash Brian, B-R-I-A-N dash Ferguson, F-E-R-G-U-S-O-N, the number three, and click on the support button. Once you are there, you'll have options to select from to make a monthly contribution. Your support will help us get on wrestling stars that require financial compensation. Again, that's anchor.fm forward slash Brian, B-R-I-N dash Ferguson, F-E-R-G-U-S-O-N, the number three, and click on the support button. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your support and enjoy the podcast. Thank you for joining another edition of Bumps and Thumps, the talk of wrestling. I'm Brian Ferguson. My guest today is a wrestling historian, author of 32 books, and a motivational speaker. He had a 35-year career in the newspaper industry, has appeared on TV shows such as ESPN, A&E, Fox Sports, and more. He also created the International Wrestling Institute and Museum, now known as the National Wrestling Hall of Fame, Dan Gable Museum, in 1998 and was the executive director until retiring from that position in 2009. It is my pleasure to welcome Mr. Mike Chapman. Mike, thanks for coming on the show today. Hey, Brian. Glad to be here. I always like to have the opportunity to talk about the history of professional wrestling. It's a fascinating topic, as you yeah, well know. I, I do, and uh, I'm very honored to have you on here today. Um, you've been doing this, uh, for a long time and, uh, I've saw you on some documentaries and, uh, it, it's interesting. There's some facts on some things that I didn't know that you had brought up. So, uh, I'm glad to have you on here today. So, well, well thanks, Brian. I grew up in Waterloo, Iowa, and that's a hotbed of wrestling mm-hmm. for amateur fans. Uh, the great Dan Gable, who I consider the greatest wrestler in the amateur wrestler in American history, mm-hmm. is from Waterloo, and I've known Dan since he was 19. Oh, wow. And uh, East and West high schools have a tremendous history between the two of them. They've won 17 state team titles. So I grew up in an uh, area where wrestling was greatly respected and honored. And I also got introduced to professional wrestling when I was about 10 years old. Okay. The old Dumont Network out of Chicago came in strongly on Saturday nights, and that's where I first saw Vern Gagne and Pat O'Connor and Luthez and Ray Gunkel and people like that. Mm -hmm. And then we had a beautiful auditorium in town called McElroy Auditorium. And I'll never forget, Brian, my dad took my brother and I to a match in uh, probably 1955. I was 11 years old. And I saw Vern Gagne wrestle Hot Schmidt. And it was a traumatic experience for me because Hots, you know, was a terrible villain <laughs> and did some nasty things to Vern. Yeah. But Vern rallied to win the match, and I was hooked from that moment on. And it was such a pleasure that Vern Gagne became a very close friend of mine. In fact, yeah. my wife, Bev, and I even attended his funeral a few years back. So right. that that kind of got me involved in the professional aspect of the game, too, mm-hmm. Brian. But I must confess most of my attention through the years has been focused on the professional wrestlers who had an amateur background. Right. That's what really caught my interest. Yeah. And I think with that too, you know, you mentioned Vern. Vern was very big into uh, promoting amateur wrestlers and, and those amateurs getting into the pro ranks. Uh, Chris Taylor comes to mind for me. Um, others that he wanted those guys that had that background and and maybe you, I, I kind of think that with you and him you kind of agree that 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 background brings more of the aspect of the sport to the professional ranks well it, it certainly did back in that era I'm not sure that that carries over anymore yeah we'll see as you know the WWE has signed Gable Stevenson the great heavyweight out of Minnesota, mm-hmm. and he's just finishing up his college career right now, mm-hmm. and then he's going to 
try his hand at the pro game yeah. like Brock Lesnar did uh, many years back. Right. But you're right. Vern was a four-time Big Ten champion, two-time NCAA champion, mm-hmm. was an alternate on the 1948 Olympic team, and he was also a standout football player at the University of Minnesota. So Vern, all his life, loved amateur wrestling. Mm-hmm. I can remember going to the NCAA tournament way back in the 60s, and uh, Vern Gagne would show up, and people would say, my gosh, there's Vern Gagne right over there. Wow, Vern Gagne. Well, Vern has always loved amateur wrestling, and he tried to keep that essence of the sport alive, Brian, mm-hmm. by bringing in guys who could really wrestle one of my very best friends is Brad Reingans. In fact, mm-hmm. I was just on the phone with Brad two nights ago okay. talking about a wide variety of things. He's had some health issues, and oh. uh, he's just a great, great amateur wrestler. Eight-time Greco-Roman national champ, two Olympic yes. teams, and he wrestled for Vern for over a dozen years. And so Brad and I have exchanged many, many emails and phone conversations mm-hmm. about Vern Gagne and what wrestling was really like back then. Yeah. Brett, uh, you bring Brad to mind. I remember seeing him as a kid. Uh, you know, once in a while, I'm from Wisconsin. We got the opportunity once in a while to go to Minneapolis. It's about two hours from my hometown. And uh, my parents weren't great wrestling fans, but they would, once in a while, them and my grandma would take me to a match down there. And, and I'd always remember seeing Brad as such a in-ring, in-ring technician. Uh he was great back then, definitely. He, he really was, and he didn't get the push maybe that no. he that he deserved or could have had. Mm-hmm. And he tells me, he told uh, Vern, I want to be a heel like Jim Raschke. And Vern, no, 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 you're a good guy. You're a good guy. The college All-American type. And, and Brad just has deep respect for Vern Gagne, so he yeah. went along with it. Yeah. No, he was he was great. I wish he would have had the push too. I think he would have been great as a as a heavyweight champion. And you just never know, right? You just never know, right? Well, it's it's like Brad says. Uh, looking back, he says, "What you could do in the ring didn't matter near as much as what you could do on a microphone." Yeah, and you have to be able to put fans in the seat. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read something to you, okay. Lou Thez. We'll talk about Lou in greater detail because. Yeah. He really, he and I really became dear friends. Okay. Here's what Lou wrote at my house in September 1993. A great pro wrestler was never determined on the best two out of three falls. Greatness, quote, was determined on how many fans could would come and pay to see you again. Mm-hmm. The difference when I came into the business was that we still knew and respected each other for what we could do in the ring in the two best two out of three falls. Today, no one, and he underlines no one, promoters, fans, or wrestlers cares or even knows. Lou Fez. Yeah. So when, when it made the transition, and it was a long, painful, people think it just happened overnight, the transition. I think it took a, a long time with a lot of pain along the way. Mm-hmm. But once it became fully entertainment, Brian, it didn't matter at all who could beat who. It only mattered who could get fans in the seat. Yeah. Hence the appeal of a gorgeous George or a Hulk Hogan or somebody like that. Yeah. No, I agree. Uh, you don't see two out of three falls anymore. You don't see some of those classic one-hour Broadways. You just you don't you don't see it. People's uh, focus now is. About ten minutes or less, and it's and it's done. So I totally get it. Unfortunately, the attention span of the American public is very, very short. Yeah, uh, indeed. Well, let's kind of focus a little bit more, uh, if we could, Mike, on, on your childhood. You grew up in Iowa, and then you went to school. You you were a newspaper guy, a journalist. Uh, you were in the Navy too. Uh, I read some stuff about you while you were in the Navy. Uh, can you talk about that? You got into the wrestling there in the Navy. Is that correct? That's correct. I grew up in a neighborhood in Waterloo where the Buzzard Boys were there. They were both three-time state champions and became All-Americans at Iowa State. And uh, I was a weightlifter. I loved to lift weights. I still do. I'm, I've been lifting weights for 62 years, 
In fact, Brian, about an hour after this conversation's over, I'll be in the YMCA here in Newton pumping iron. All right. I'm addicted to, <laughs> I'm addicted to it, uh, the pump and yeah. the solitude and just everything about weightlifting. Yeah. So I played football and had a reputation at the high school for being a pretty strong fellow. Mm-hmm. But even though I loved pro wrestling and I st- had studied the career of Frank Gotch, who was in Iowa, and he became my all-time favorite sports hero, mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't try wrestling. And there's several reasons for that, and I'm not going to go into them right now because they're irrelevant. But the Buzzard Boys lived a block from me, and they were always looking for somebody to wrestle during the summers. And they had a huge side yard, and sometimes in the summer, there'd be 30 kids up there wrestling in the grass. We didn't have mats or anything. A young Dan Gable remembers coming there, sitting and watching in awe, as we were all older than Dan, watching us wrestle in the grass and that's where i learned to really love the sport Mm -hmm. and uh i ate a lot of grass i tell people (laughs) that's what happens when your face gets stuck in the in the grass and you can't move but i also learned how to wrestle when i got to the navy i was just 18 years old i was in vallejo california it's a huge naval base called mare island naval base and i saw a sign that said tryouts for wrestling and boxing well i love boxing too Mm -hmm. And I thought about going out for boxing. I was a big Rocky Marciano fan. But I went out for wrestling, and I beat two other sailors to make the team. And my Waterloo grass wrestling had really paid off. And I wrestled for three years in the Navy. We wrestled college teams, other naval bases. Mm -hmm. I got to travel, and it really expanded my horizons. We actually went into the San Francisco Olympic Club a couple times to train. And the coach there was Bill Smith, 1952 Olympic champion, and we became lifelong friends. So I really, I became obsessed with the sport, Brian, at that point. And I even went to uh, some pro matches there at the old Kezar Pavilion and and saw some of the big names of the day. And when I got out of the Navy, I came back to Iowa, went to the University of Iowa, and was going to wrestle. They're the best wrestling program in the country, them and Penn State. And cut my finger off in an industrial accident. When oh, I was no. working at a Yeah, I was working at a plant right before school started, and I cut my finger off, and my whole hand swelled up, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So I dropped out of school. I never went back and wrestled in college, but I did participate in judo and sambo and bench press contests. I benched 440 at a body weight of 205 Yeah. and got into a journalism career. And at first, Brian, I wasn't really geared toward doing a lot with wrestling. I was covering football and basketball sport, which I don't really have any interest in at all. Yeah. <laughs> and I started covering wrestling meets. And at that time, the University of Iowa was really coming on strong. Gable had just won the 1972 Olympics in Munich without surrendering a single point in six matches. Oh, wow. It was on TV shows, magazine articles. And he had been named assistant coach at Iowa, and I was living in Iowa City. And we just developed a great bond and friendship. And pretty soon, I'm going to all the Iowa meets and knowing all the wrestlers. I'm still going up in the wrestling room. I'm in my mid-20s. I'm working out sometimes with the team. I've wrestled Olympic champs and world champs and NCAA champions. And I just became immersed in the world of amateur wrestling, Brian. I've been to 47 NCAA tournaments. And I would say my love of pro wrestling really blossomed when I started studying the career of Dan Hodge. Mm -hmm. And in 1976, I wrote a book called Two Guys Named Dan about Dan Gable and Dan Hodge. I'd never had a book published. I'd never even thought about it. Mm Mm-hmm and sent a a proposal to a company in Milwaukee called Medalist, and they bought the rights. And pretty soon I'm a published book author. Dan Hodge and I became very good friends. I traveled to Perry, Oklahoma to interview him for the book and spent three days with him and his lovely wife, Dolores, Mm -hmm. and we became lifelong friends. So at that point, Brian, I'm really immersed in the history of the sport. Yeah. Wow, that's 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 amazing. Iowa is the hotbed for for wrestlers. I've I've noticed that over the years, especially and and, and Minnesota too, uh, and Penn State, like you said, that that Big Ten and conference. Oklahoma. Oklahoma has a great heritage in yeah. amateur wrestling. Seems like the Big Ten and and uh, like you said, Oklahoma, 
uh, have those wrestling programs that really, I don't know, blossom people, uh, men and women both. So, yeah, it's interesting. Okay, let's talk a little bit, if we could. Um, you've written other books. Uh, you've written about Ronald Reagan. You've written about uh, your longest-serving uh, governor in Iowa there, Terry Branstead. Uh, what what piqued your interest in those? Kind of, you kind of broadened your horizon from wrestling into other other subjects. What what brought you on to that? That's a great question, Brian, and uh, it could take me an hour and a half to explain <laughs> it, so I'll try to to just give you the top of the story. Okay. So as I'm as I'm being so involved in wrestling, also as a young kid, I'd seen Tarzan movies, mm -hmm. and I became a big Tarzan fan. He was much like a wrestler. He was very physically gifted, and he was tough, and and always tried to do the right thing. And uh, I started reading the original Tarzan books. There were twenty six of them, and then I became a fan of Herman Bricks, who mm -hmm. I think is the greatest movie Tarzan of all. Nineteen different actors have played Tarzan in fifty two movies, okay. and Herman was uh, ripped and lean and a Olympic shot put champion and NCAA champion. And he made two Tarzan movies in 35 and then was afraid to be typecast and changed his name to Bruce Bennett and made 100 movies. Wow. Well, one day out of the blue, I wrote him a fan letter, and he responded, and I ended up going to Hollywood. He had long retired and gotten into real estate. Mm -hmm. And I wrote his biography called Please Don't Call Me Tarzan. <laughs> also, along this time, I'd been reading about Achilles, the great hero of the Trojan War. Mm -hmm. And I've always been fascinated by his character. And I wrote a book called Achilles, Son of Peleus, Scourge of Troy. And if people go on my website, not only will they see pictures of me with Lou Fez and with the Incredible Hulk, Lou Ferrigno, mm -hmm. and with Ronald Reagan, but they'll see a picture of me standing on the tomb of Achilles on the other side of the world. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so to, I, I just became interested in powerful figures in history. And you mentioned the Iowa governor. In 2015, Terry Branstadt became the longest-serving governor in American history. Mm -hmm. A group out of Des Moines hired me to write his biography. I had 10 sit-down meetings with him and wrote the story. Mm -hmm. When Donald Trump was elected president, he named Terry Branstadt to be ambassador to China. Okay. Shortly after, a Chinese publishing company called me up and bought the rights to my book on Terry, Branstad and republished it in Chinese. Wow. So that's how the, uh, Terry's back now. He lives in Iowa, and we're friends. We stay in contact. Mm -hmm. uh, something else I want to talk about real briefly, as sure. I mentioned, I was a fan of Rocky Marciano. Yep. I live in Newton, Iowa, Brian. I was mm -hmm. the publisher of the newspaper here, yes. my last job. Rocky Marciano died in a plane crash in Newton, Iowa, mm -hmm. August 31st, 1969. Okay. When I created the International Wrestling Museum, a beautiful building right off the interstate here, mm -hmm. I did it as a hobby. It was going to be a, quote, fun thing, and pretty soon it took over my life. <laughs> we had pro inductions, the Luthez George Tragos Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame. Lou got the Cauliflower Alley Club to hold its annual meeting here one to kick off our big first year. Okay. We had over 350 people show up. And Dan Gable came to the ceremony, and when I introduced him, he got a standing ovation. Uh, the old pros really look up to Gable mm -hmm. as a standard bearer. And everything just kind of took off, and pro wrestling really became a big part of my life then. Yeah. And so people say to me, why does Iowa have this great wrestling tradition? There's two reasons for that, Brian. Okay. One is I tell people, think of the tough people that came west over the Mississippi River in the 1830s and 40s in their covered wagons, built rafts, brought their families across the river mm -hmm. into Iowa, facing terrific hardships, severe winters, Indian attacks, a tough land. It's a beautiful land, heavily forested, and they had to break the land. So they're tough, tough people. In humbled Iowa... A fellow by the name of Frank Gotch became American heavyweight champion in 1905 mm -hmm. and then world heavyweight champion in 1908 when he beat the great George Hackenschmidt. Yeah. Gotch was handsome, articulate, 
a great sense of humor, and the media loved him. Yeah. Back then, the only two sports that the media really gave a lot of attention to were boxing and wrestling. Yeah. Baseball, basketball, football, they were all in their infancy. The media loved Gotch. He was quotable, handsome. He'd been invited to the White House twice by Teddy Roosevelt. Oh, wow. He starred in a he starred in a play that went up and down the East Coast. So all of a sudden, Iowans, with this tough character that it took to become to come here and settle the land, have this incredible idol in Humboldt, Iowa. Mm-hmm. And he travels the state, and he actually wrestled in Waterloo in 1909. It was front page, not front page sports, Brian. Yeah. Front page wow. said the whole city is agog because the world heavyweight champion will be here. All the local civic groups are battling to get him to come to their events. Women will be coming to the wrestling match for the first time ever. <laughs> the auditorium's completely sold out. The, the reason I'm telling you all this is Gotch played a huge role in Iowa's love affair with the sport. Mm. He died in 1917 from kidney failure. Mm. A shot of penicillin would have saved him, but penicillin hadn't been invented. He was only 39 years old. Oh, wow. My second book, besides two guys named Dan, was From Gotch to Gable, A History of Iowa Wrestling. Okay. It was published by the University of Iowa Press, which gave it great prestige. That book today, I still get calls for it. It was published <laughs> 45 years ago. I've seen it sell for over $150. Oh, wow. Uh, and I think I sent you a picture, Brian, mm-hmm. of sitting in Frank Gotch's chair. I own his favorite lounge chair. I own his white wicker table that he used to sit at to write letters. I own uh, a belt that he once wore. I own his derby hat that he wore. And I have five handwritten letters or postcards that Frank Gotch wrote to people. Wow. That's... Yeah, those pictures were... Those were those were cool. I really enjoyed that. Thank you for sending that to me, by the way. And... Um, yeah, I mean, you <clears throat> you talk about Frank Gotch, George Hackenschmidt, those guys kind of you know paved the way for to, for me uh, to, to modern wrestling. You know, those guys with the draws. Then you get into the the Luthezes and the the Vergnanias, and um, you're, you you said you were good friends with Luthez. What what was he like outside the ring? That's a wonderful question. I'm glad you're asking me that. I created a poster called The World Heavyweight Wrestling Champions with Frank Gotch and Ed Lewis and Zabisco and Londos and Pat O'Connor and mm-hmm. Vern Gagne and Dick Hutton, who's largely forgotten. We can talk about Dick Hutton, mm-hmm. what a great world champion he was. Yeah. And the two featured people, really, with the way they're positioned, are Frank Gotch and Luthez. And I'd never met Lou at that point. Mm-hmm. And uh, I sent him... Somebody gave me his address, and I sent him the poster. Mm-hmm. He wrote me the nicest letter saying, thank you. Uh, you're really doing a lot to keep the history of wrestling alive. I applaud that. Then a fellow was having a big wrestling show in New York City. John Arizio, I think was his name. Okay. He contacted me and asked me if I would come and bring Frank Gotch's shoes. I did have Frank Gotch's wrestling shoes mm-hmm. at the time. Now they're in the Dan Gable Museum and some other artifacts, and uh, he would let me have my table for free. And I said, you know, John, thank you, but I've seen the list of other people that you are inviting, and I don't think your fandom would be interested in the history of wrestling that I'm most interested in. Mm -hmm. Oh, Mike, you'd be surprised. Well, I wasn't going to go, and I Mm -hmm. looked over the list again, and I saw the name Luthez. And I said, I'm going to go. And I wrote, dropped Lou a note and said, I'm going to this big event in New York. I see you're going to be there. If there's any chance we could just meet, I I would certainly love that opportunity. Mm -hmm. And I told him a little bit of my amateur background. So get a load of this. I'm there in New York at this huge ballroom, and I'm setting up my table, and I've got this Frank Gotch memorabilia and a couple Mm -hmm. Joe Stecker and Earl Caddock things and pictures of Farmer Burns hanging by the neck Mm -hmm. to show that nobody could (laughs) choke him out. And 
Bruno San Martino's there and Buddy Rogers and Ric Flair and they're in private rooms and hardly anybody's paying much attention to my table. Mm-hmm. And I get it. My feelings weren't hurt. Yeah. And I'm sitting there. <clears throat> and all of a sudden I see this figure striding toward the table. He's got a tan jumpsuit on and he's carrying a, a, a silver attaché case. And he comes walking right up to the table and he says, is this where I can see Frank Gotcha's shoes? <laughs> and I said, hi, Lou, and stand up and stick out my hand. I'm Mike Chapman. Yeah. And he smiles from ear to ear. We stand there talking. Well, everybody, see, he'd been in his own room signing autographs. Mm-hmm. Pretty soon there's a huge crowd around us, Brian, because everybody wants to be around Lou Fez. Yeah. So I said to him, Lou, do you want to come behind the table so we can just sit down and talk? And he says, yep. He comes <laughs> behind the table and sits down. We talk for about 30 minutes, and then the guy running the show comes. He's frantic looking for him. He says, Lou, Lou, you've got a big crowd back at your room. Please come back. And so Lou stands up, looks at me, and he says, Hey, partner, would you like to meet for dinner when this is all over? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I would <laughs> like to do that. So I meet him for dinner. Brian, at about 8 o'clock, we sit down. We talk till 1.30 in the morning. Oh, wow. Yeah. About he wants to know about Frank Gotch and Dan Gable and Earl Caddock, who's from Iowa, and all these stories. Yeah. And he starts telling me his stories about he met Joe Stecker once, and he tells me how good of friends he was with Ed Lewis. That's his hero, Ed Lewis. Yeah. And the stories just keep pouring out. Yeah. Well, the next day when we're leaving, he says, let's stay in touch, Mike. Well, what an invitation. Yeah. So I go, about a year later, I go to Norfolk, Virginia, where he's living with his wife, Charlie, a wonderful person. Mm-hmm. And I bring two film guys with me, and we make a video called An American Icon, the Lufez Story. Oh, wow. Yeah, which I still have a few copies of. And for an hour, Lufez and I sit there and talk about the history of wrestling yeah. on the back deck of his apartment in Norfolk, Virginia. Wow. When I come up with the idea of the International Wrestling Institute Museum, I mm-hmm. decide it's mostly amateur. Yeah. I'm in the hotbed of amateur wrestling. Yes. But I'm going to have a separate wing for a pro Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. And I ask Lou if I can name it after him. Yeah. He says, no, 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 no. You name it after Gotch or something like that. Uh, it's a long story, but I talked him into letting me name it for him. Mm. So get a load of this, Brian. We buy this beautiful building right off the interstate. Nine million cars a year go within eyesight of it. Yeah. I'm running a newspaper with over 50 employees six days a week. <laughs> now I'm running a wrestling museum. I'm still creating. I'm the creator of Win Magazine, yeah. Wrestling Institute News Magazine. Uh, I'm still lifting weights. I'm raising a family. I'm spread as thin as thin can be. Lou and Charlie come to Newton. We had a large home, mm-hmm. move into our spare bedroom and stay with us for three weeks. Oh, wow. Lou and I designed the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame. We put a half-size ring up in it. One night, just Luthez and me are in the building. I'm out in the amateur ring doing stuff, and I come up and peek in the pro wing. There's Luthez sta- standing in the pro ring, taping all the corners. <laughs> wow. And I said... <laughs> I said, can it get any better than this? Yeah. Can it get any better than this? Yeah. Lou liked to say we were hooked at the hip, and that meant so much to me. Yeah. Uh, as I told you, I was great friends with Danny Hodge and yeah. Vern Gagne, mm-hmm. but my relationship with Lou was really special. Yeah. And we spent a lot of time together. Bev and I went to Norfolk with him and Charlie. They came here for every inductions. I took him into the Iowa wrestling room and introduced him to Dan Gable. And we sat there and watched a Iowa wrestling practice when they had won nine straight national titles. Mm-hmm. And Lou was enthralled. And he and Gable became good friends. Wow. Uh, the stories just go on and on and on, Brian. I could yeah. talk for three hours. Yeah. But Lou was friendly yeah. to certain people. He was reserved. Right. And he has very strong opinions. He wasn't a big Gotch fan. 
uh, because he'd heard he was mean and nasty in the ring. Mm-hmm. And I said, Lou, do you know what he went through in his early days? A guy by the name of Leo Pardello, who he wrestled in Chicago, beat the living crap out of him in a match, broke his nose, puffed up an eye. Uh, Tom Jenkins, the first time they wrestled, beat him up so bad, Frank was spitting blood. Oh, wow. So he learned how to wrestle tough, too. Yeah. And he said, well, yeah, I, I never thought of that side of it. you know." So anyway, mm-hmm. uh, Lou and I, one night we sat on my back deck here in Newton, Iowa, under an Iowa sky, stars twinkling, 80 degrees, sipping wine, and talked wrestling till 4 in the morning. Wow. Wow. Uh, that, I would be starstruck if I, you know, I know he's no longer with us. Uh, if I could talk to Luthez, I'd be starstruck. I'd probably just listen to what he had to say, and, and if he asked me a question, I'd probably have to shake my head for a second. Uh, but that's, you know, that's amazing. Um you talk about Vern. Well, uh, Bri- Go ahead. Brian, I'll tell you what I'm wrestling with. Okay. I'm 78 years old. I've got health issues. I've had a major neck surgery. They cut my neck wide open, moved the throat aside, replaced three vertebrae, and put in a titanium plate. I was back in the weight room with four in four weeks. Gosh. I've had two <laughs> heart surgeries, uh, not open heart surgeries, mm-hmm. but major stuff. Yeah. And I'm thinking about writing one last book. All right. And it would be some, the subtitle would be What Luthez Told Me. And okay. if I don't tell these stories that no. Lou told me, and I've t- Fritz von Gehring, the old pro worker who's 94 years old, uh, he sat in the museum with us and told us amazing stories and who could shoot and who couldn't shoot and who the boys were afraid of. Mm-hmm. And like I said to Fez, why wasn't Danny Hodge a bigger name all around the world yeah. and in this country? And he said two reasons. Danny didn't like to leave the Southwest. He was a homebody, mm-hmm. and he liked to stay in that area. And all, most all the pros were terrified of him. Yeah. Uh, they didn't know if he'd work or hurt them. Uh, they were afraid if there were stories about if they angered him, Hodge would go to work on you. And there's nobody could get away from Dan Hodge if he didn't want you to. Yeah. Uh, there's, I'm a big fan of Pat O'Connor. Pat and I spent a wonderful weekend together. Mm-hmm. He came all the way up from Kansas City to meet Dan Gable and go to a dual meet between the United States and the Soviet Union mm-hmm. and went to the VIP party with me afterwards. Wow. And Pat O'Connor was walking around getting autographs of the American wrestlers. <laughs> well, I, I really like Pat O'Connor, wonderful yeah. guy. Yeah. But he tried to shoot on Dan Hodge once when he was the NWA World Heavyweight Champ. Mm-hmm. It did not go well for Pat. <laughs> uh, I'm a big fan of Jack Briscoe. Jack and I became very good friends and i'm really good friends with his brother jerry they're wonderful people mm-hmm. uh the briscoes idolize hodge and jack when he was nwa champion got talked into wrestling dan one night in the grass in florida mm. it didn't go very well for jack <laughs> there are all kinds of stories out there about people who challenged dan hodge yeah every let me tell you what harley race told me and i Harley Racer was a great guy, boy. Mm-hmm. Harley came to about eight of our inductions in a row. Mm-hmm. Just And he and I would sit and talk. Well, we all did, late into the night. Yeah. And we're sitting there one time. Judo Gene LaBelle was there, uh, and you know about him. Mm-hmm. And, gosh, Gene Koniski was there, and Harley Race, and Vern Gagne, and we're all sitting around. And I, somebody said to Harley, who's the toughest guy you ever knew? And just then, Hodge is walking by in the distance getting a Coca-Cola. Mm-hmm. And he said, see that guy right there? And we all looked up and said, yeah. He said, you tell me how somebody could beat him. Never yeah. lost in college. Never taken down. Olympic silver medalist. He got cheated out of the gold medal by the Russians. Mm-hmm. That's a fact. Yeah. Uh, 17-0 as an amateur boxer with 14 knockouts. National Golden Gloves boxing champion. Gosh. Are you going to outbox him? I don't think so. No. Are you going to outwrestle him? I don't think so. Yeah. Are you going to outstrength him? Those hands, he breaks pliers. This is Harley Race talking. I don't think so. And he says, and then Harley kind of smiled and he said, and he does have a mean streak if you piss him off. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. So we're all sitting there nodding. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. So. Wow. Here's Harley Race, one of the toughest guys ever to step in a ring. Yep. 
saying the toughest guy he knows is Dan Hodge. That's, yeah. And, and Brad Ryan says the same thing. Brad Ryan says, you talk to the to the guys really who's the toughest guy, and he says, Hodge's name always comes up immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard a few stories about that. And Harley, you know, he's a tough character. Uh, sure was. Yeah, he sure was. Um, I had the opportunity to meet hey. him a few years back before he passed away, and, and a wonderful man. He really was, and he and his wife, BJ. Yeah. Uh, once we inducted Harley, he came to the uh, to the wrestling museum inductions every year, and then when we moved the museum to Waterloo, mm-hmm. he had his first pro match ever in Waterloo. Oh, and okay. Yes, Harley Race, his first pro match ever was in Waterloo. And Fez's second pro match was in Waterloo when he was 18. Wow. That's the kind of history. So, Frank... I did some research. Nine world heavyweight champs have wrestled in Waterloo, Iowa. Frank Gotch, Earl Caddock, Joe Stecker, Harley Race, Vern Gagne, on and on and on. Yeah. I mean, it's just amazing. Yeah. But I want to tell you a quick Bret Hart story, sure. if I may. Yeah, go okay? ahead, please, yes. So I don't know much about pro wrestling after the 1970 era, mm-hmm. but somebody had recommended we induct Bret Hart. Mm-hmm. And one of our main criteria is you have to have some amateur background mm-hmm. or be so well respected by your peers mm-hmm. that they want to vote you in. We let, we let all the inductees vote every year. Okay. So Bret Hart's name comes up, and so I do a little research, and I find out he was a regional high school champion up in Canada. So I get his phone number. Actually, I think I had his email. Somebody gave it to me, and I email it. And I say, Brett, we'd like to induct you into the Luthez George Tragels Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame. He emails me back and says, that would be a great honor, but I don't feel like I'm worthy to be in a Hall of Fame with Frank Gotch and Luthez and people like that. Mm-hmm. I write him back and I said, well, Brett, your peers respectfully disagree. Yeah. We think you do deserve it. So he called me up and we chatted and he said, boy, he says, will Dan Gable be there? And I said, yeah. He says, well, I'd always like, wanted to meet him, and so we're talking. He says, okay, I'll come. So he comes, and, of course, we promote it pretty heavily. Yeah. It's the biggest turnout we've ever had. Mm-hmm. At this point, Luthez has passed away. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we would always do, Brian, is we'd have the inductions in the pro ring, wing mm-hmm. and had beautiful plaques up on the wall and then gave them their own plaque. Right. And I would talk for about just three or four minutes, and because we'd have five or six. Mm-hmm. The place was packed <laughs> all the way out into the parking area. Uh, we had a Culver's restaurant right next door. It was. I asked them if we could use their parking lot that morning. They said yes. I've never seen that big a crowd. Wow. So afterwards, we put them in a special room, mm-hmm. and I printed up posters with pictures of all of them and little biographies. And this was a fundraiser for the museum. They could buy a poster for $10 and mm-hmm. get these guys to autograph them. Mm-hmm. Charlie Fez, Lou's widow, is controlling the line. And she's a, she's a take-no-prisoners type of lady <laughs> when, she, <laughs> when she's running something like this. And my daughter, Jenny, who had been a mad aide at the University of Iowa for Dan Gable, very, very attractive, if I may say so, <laughs> is sitting at the table with Brett. So she would collect the money because Brett had his own photos there. He said, can I sell some of my own photos mm-hmm. for $20 each and autograph them? And I says, absolutely. Yeah. We would love it. So the Bret Hart line probably takes three hours. Oh, wow. And we had to cut it off. Yeah. These two girls come up, girls in their early 20s, and they're waiting patiently in line. And they come up, and one of them looks down at Brett and my daughter, and she says, we flew in from New York City just to meet you, Brett. And he says, wow, okay, well, good. And she says, and I want to show you something. She turns around and drops the top half of her shawl, and across her back is tattooed the words, Hitman. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Brett looks at my daughter, kind of smiles and says, Jenny, I don't think we should charge her for a picture, do you? (laughs) And Jenny says, no, I don't. He signs these two beautiful pictures of himself and gives them to him yeah so the vents all over we have a banquet that night and i introduce him mm-hmm. and about 10 of us come back to the museum after the banquet 
uh, Vern Gagne, Dan Hodge, Brett Hart, Dan Gable, me, and some others. Brett comes up to me and hands me this box. And I said, what's this? I can see it's filled with money. Yeah. He said, oh, this is the money I collected for my pictures. I'm donating it to the museum. Wow. I said, Brett, no, you don't need to do that. Let me tell you this, Brian. We don't pay for their flight in. We get them a beautiful hotel and, of course, the banquet and try yeah. to cater them. But we don't pay for their flight in. We can't. We couldn't afford it. Right. I said, you've already paid for your way in. Brett says, for what you are doing for the history of wrestling, that's the least I can do. Wow. He shoves the box into my hands. Won't take no for an answer. It's filled with 20 and $10 bills. Wow. Uh, that's the kind of guy Bret Hart yeah. is, in my mind. Yeah. The generosity he showed those two ladies flying in from New York. <laughs> the way he handled the crowd. Yeah. One last quick story about Bret. Please. Yes. So there's a really neat restaurant nearby called um, Okaboji Bar and Grill. And the first night after he flies in and I'm showing him the museum and all that, we go up there. And, of course, I'm publisher of the newspaper, so the sports section was full of pictures of every inductee that was coming in and mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. And so people knew Bret Hart was going to be there. Yeah. But the but the restaurant area is just about ready to close. It's about 1030 at night. And him and I kind of, and my wife Bev, go in this side door. And the bar area is off to the side, and it's packed lot of noise and we sit down in the restaurant and the waiter comes walking up he's probably in his late 20s mm-hmm. and he says may i help you and he says oh my god bret hart <laughs> like that brett kind of smiles and says yeah and the guy's just awestruck so he takes our order and he starts to walk away and he comes back and he looks at me and he says to me do you think mr hart would autograph the menu for me and i said well he's sitting right here ask him and he turns to Brett, and he says, would you autograph it for me? He says, sure. So the guy brings over the menu, and Brett signs it. The guy disappears. He comes out like three minutes later, and he says, the whole kitchen crew wants, they're so jealous. Is there any <laughs> chance you would sign menus for them? And he says, sure, bring them out. Like eight people come out, wow. three or four women, three or four guys. He signs every one of them. Wow. Just chatting with them, yeah. nice, friendly, yeah. so... Those are my two Bret Hart stories. As you yeah. can tell, I'm a fan of Bret Hart. Yeah, no, and, and that's good because, you know, uh, there's been some stories about him that he's, you know, not sometimes a nice person. And it's it's good to hear refreshing stories like that because, you know, some guys get a bad rap for one little thing and they're kind of sure. marked. So it's it's good to hear uh, stories about him. I, you know, I've always liked Bret Hart as a wrestler. I've never met him in person. I've always thought he was great in the ring and, and, uh, his, uh, interaction on the mic when he was, uh, in WCW and, and WWE and all that, I thought he was as great. And, uh, so it's good to hear those stories about him. He, he seems like a nice guy. So that's great. Yeah. And, and, and Brian, he was interested in the history of the museum. Right. He walked around and looked at pictures and, Picked up, uh, we had Dan Hodges and Ed Stringer Lewis's headlock machine then. He mm-hmm. picked it up and yeah. looked at it, and he wanted to see Frank Gotch's shoes and everything. I mean, he was, he was my experience with Bret Hart over three days was A+. plus. Good. That's good to hear. I'm glad. He, I'm going to see him here in a couple of weeks at the uh, WrestleCon down in Dallas, so I'm looking forward to it. So, Hey, tell him Mike Chapman said some very good things about him, will you please? Oh, I will. You bet I will. I will uh, yep. tell him I talk to you and head you on our podcast. And who knows, he might be able to come on if I'd like that. But we'll we'll wait and see. So, um, yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Uh, you got inducted into the Cauliflower Alley Club in two thousand two. You've had many awards. I just noticed that one for the Art Abrams Lifetime Achievement Award. What? How was that for you? That experience. I mean, there's probably a lot of people there. Um, what was that like for you, getting that award? Great question, Brian. Um, I hope this doesn't sound immodest of me, but I'm in 11 halls of fame. Yes, I uh, And most of them are amateur wrestling. Mm-hmm. And I'm in my high school, East Waterloo Hall of Fame, and I'm even in the Tarzan Hall of Fame, basically. <laughs> and uh, uh, I've hosted three national Tarzan conventions. By the way, I'm going to be the guest speaker at the national Tarzan convention June 2nd in... Okay. Um, 
San Antonio, Texas, if anybody's in that area. I'll put that in the description. And I actually brought Dan Severn. There was a... Dan Severn's one of my really dear friends, Dan mm-hmm. the Beast Severn. Yep. And I was just with him last week in Phoenix. We went down to visit my daughter, who runs five restaurants there. And, oh, wow. and Dan lives there part, uh, part of the season. So Dan and I and his wife and my wife and my daughter all went to the restaurant. And mm-hmm. what a, Dan Severn's one of my favorite people, too. And he's been inducted in our Pro Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to... One year we had the Tarzan Convention in Coldwater, Michigan, where Dan lives and where his training camp is. Mm-hmm. And I called him up and I said, hey, Dan, we're going to host a National Tarzan Convention in Coldwater, Michigan. He said, what's a National Tarzan Convention? <laughs> so I told him it's just a bunch of old guys get together and talk about how much they love Tarzan movies and books. Usually it gets three or 400 people. Mm-hmm. And he came. Wow. And I introduced him to the crowd. I said, when I was the speaker, I said, see that guy over there in the corner? Mm-hmm. His nickname's The Beast, and that's the only guy I've ever met that might be able to whip Tarzan. <laughs> <laughs> and he loved it, and he signed autographs and posed for pictures and that's everything, great. too. So the Cauliflower Alley Club, after Lou brought, their, brought the club here for our first inductions, mm-hmm. over 350 people, um... He got me on their board of directors. Okay. And I said, you know, Lou, I'm not really sure I should be on their board of directors. I don't know. I said, you're great for the sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, your amateur background is incredible. You bring a new aspect to it. So let me tell you, the first meeting I go to, it's in Las Vegas, and mm-hmm. we're all sitting around the table, and the meeting hasn't started yet, and in walks Killer Kowalski. He's on the board. Yeah. And when I was growing up, the two people in the whole world I was most afraid of were Hans Schmidt and Killer Kowalski. <laughs> 10, 11 years old, those yeah. guys terrified me. And he comes walking in, comes over to Lou, says, hi, Lou. And Lou says, Walter, I'd like to meet, uh, introduce you to the latest board member, Mike Chapman. Uh, and Walter sticks out his hand and says, how you doing, kid? Glad to see you. Glad to meet you. <laughs> and says, says, come on, Walter, he's one of us. And so... Killer looks at me and smiles and says, Hi, Mike, welcome aboard. <laughs> <laughs> and sits down next to us. So a couple of years later, Lou's in bad health. Mm-hmm. And I knew it. And he calls me. Somebody calls me up. I think it was Carl Lauer. No, it was Lou. He says, I'd resign from the board. I was on it for about three years, and I just had too many other, mm-hmm. other things I was working on. I was flattered to be on it, but I didn't think I brought much to it. Right. And Lou says, are you coming to the Cauliflower Alley meeting this, this year? I said, you know, Lou, I don't think I am. He says, you need to go. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, I'd love to go, Bev and I, just to see you and Charlie. But I got some it's right around the time of the NCAA wrestling tournament, and I've got so many other things. He says, Mike, they're giving you the... Art Abrams Award, and I'm going to present it to you. Mm-hmm. I swallowed heavily and said, I'll be there. Yeah. So we were there, actually sitting at the table, if I remember correctly, were Kurt Angle, who was being honored as the newcomer of the year. Mm-hmm. And I've known Kurt for many years from amateur wrestling. Yeah. Luthez, me, Bev, and Charlie, and Chris Benoit. Ah. We're all at the same table. And when it comes time to introduce the Art Abrams Award, Lou goes up on the stage, says some very nice things, and brings me up. And he hands me the award. Well, I'm choked up. I'm standing there looking at my two biggest heroes in wrestling are Frank Gotch and Lou Fez, and I'm mm-hmm. standing there with one of them. Yeah. Dan Hodge and Vern Gagne are right there, too. And uh, here's a story I've never told anybody before. I'm telling it for your podcast, Brian. I appreciate it. Let's hear it. It, It's midnight, and the event's over, and we're walking through the casinos. Uh, I've never played a slot machine in my life. I don't smoke. I don't hardly drink anything at all. Mm -hmm. And we have to walk through it to get to our hotel room. And Bev and I and Charlie are talking, and I don't see Lou. And I stop and turn around, and he's standing about 10 feet behind us. 
and he motions to me. And I come over and he says, take my arm, Mike. I'm having trouble breathing. Mm-hmm. So I take his arm and we walk together. Charlie saw what was happening too and came back and Bev and we walk out of there and we get him to his room mm-hmm. and I knew that he was in trouble yeah. and he died within six months. No. So the fact that I was out there with him and he presented it to me, mm-hmm. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. I'm sitting in Frank Gotch's chair <laughs> talking to Brian Ferguson about Luthez, Frank Gotch, Dan Hodge, and Dan Gable. And I'm looking at the Cauliflower Alley uh, Lifetime Achievement Award. Yeah. So of all the Halls of Fame I'm in and the awards, that one probably has the most meaning to it. Okay, that was my next question, actually. So that was, you know, that's thank you for sharing that. I mean, that's, uh, you, you seem like a very humble and nice person. I've never met you in person, but our interactions and our conversations over the phone, I mean, I'm just... I'm glad that you were willing to come on our show today, and and I just yeah you're very very humble, and you have so many great stories, and you have such a vast uh, background as well. I mean, and you're busy. I mean, you created this magazine, the Wrestler Wrestling Insider Magazine. Um, what about ten years ago? I believe twenty years ago. Oh no, actually, uh, twenty six years ago. Wow. And we sold it about fifteen years ago. Okay. Uh, to Brian Van Clay, but I still write a column every month for it. Wow. Brian, I have written a column on amateur wrestling new on amateur wrestling mm-hmm. for 26 solid years, 12 times a year. Wow! So what's that? That comes out to almost 300 columns. I've mm-hmm. never missed once. And it's I created the Dan Hodge Trophy. Yes, I want to talk to you about 26 that. 26 years ago, mm-hmm. it goes to the top college wrestler in the United States every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, the AP calls it the Heisman Trophy of Wrestling. Over a million people have seen it presented in person wow. because at the end of the college season, we present it to the wrestler mm-hmm. of the college, and then the college usually wants it presented at halftime of a football game that fall mm-hmm. in front of crowds of eighty or 90,000. Yeah. So, yeah, and we haven't even talked about Brock Lesnar. I know Brock. And I've got a great Mick Foley story if you want to hear it. Let's hear it. I, I, I was just going to say some stuff about some other more recent guys, but please, we're Brock Lesnar and Mick Foley. Let's hear it. So when I go to that big show in New York where I meet Luthez for the first time and I'm sitting there with my Frank Gotch's wrestling shoes and his derby hat and some Earl Caddock and Joe Stecker artifacts and my book on Dan Hodge and Dan Gable, and people are coming by and looking, but I'm not getting near the traffic the other booths are. Mm -hmm. And again, I understood that. Mm-hmm. And uh, all of a sudden, this big guy comes up, and he's standing there, and he's looking around, and he says, uh, is this where I can see Frank Gotch's shoes? <laughs> and I says, why, yes. And I said, they're right here. And I pull them out and put them up, and he handles them and looks at them, and he says, and this was really Frank Gotch's hat? And I said, yes. And he's looking at someone, and he's very articulate, and he's asking me some questions, mm-hmm. and I don't know who he is. Right. And he says, this is really nice that you would come bring this stuff. I wish more people knew about the history of the wrestling. Mm-hmm. And he wanders off, and there's been a couple fans there standing there. And I just kind of shrugged, and one of them says, you don't know who that was, do you? And I said, no. He said, that was Cactus Jack, <laughs> also known as Mankind. Yeah. And I wow. said, wow, I didn't know that. <laughs> wow. So here's Mick Foley, very unpretentious, coming up and showing a real interest in the history of wrestling, too. Yeah. So I've always thought that was kind of nice. So about 15 years ago, Brad Reingans, who was Brock Lesnar's father figure, and he trained him and helped him transition into pro wrestling, and mm-hmm. they're like Fez said about him and me. They're joined at the hip. Yeah. Uh, Brock thinks the world of Brad and vice versa. Right. Brad brings Brock down to want just to see the museum and stand and talk. <clears throat> And Brock's not as open as Bret Hart was, but, mm-hmm. but polite. Right. People, it wasn't a, an event. It wasn't an inductions or anything, but uh, we had some people there, and, and Brock was, was pleasant. Mm-hmm. 
And then we went up to that Okaboji bar and grill and ate, and he was the waiter. A couple waiters came over, and he signed stuff for him. Mm-hmm. But what I'll remember the most is we come back to the museum, and we're standing there in the entryway. And in the entryway, we had a huge oversized mural of Abraham Lincoln wrestling at the age of 22, Jack Armstrong, in the village of New Salem, Illinois. True story. Mm-hmm. Abe Lincoln was quite a wrestler. He was six foot four, 180 pounds. He was a rail splitter, strong arms and forearms. And how you proved yourself in those little frontier villages, Brian, when you were first coming there, is you'd end up in a scuffling match, mm-hmm. which is what they called wrestling back then. No referees, no rules. And Abe was a good scuffler. And we wanted people, when they walked in the museum right away, to see that one of the most influential figures in American history was a wrestler. You walked around the corner, we had a huge wall with a life-size drawing from 1880s of Jacob wrestling the angel of the Lord, as described in the Bible. So we had all these, and Brock standing there and looking at the wall and kind of nodding and said, this is really a neat place. Yeah. And as he's leaving... He gives my wife, Bev, a hug. And Bev's very attractive, 5'7", mm-hmm. nice nice physique and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he hugs mm-hmm. her, and I'm standing behind him, and I can't even, I can't even see Bev. <laughs> That's how big he is. <laughs> oh, I could just see a cup a pair of hands on his back and her saying, thank you very much for coming and all that. So that's my memory of Brock. Yeah. It's the only time I've ever been around him. Yeah. Uh, I really appreciate all he's done for bringing a certain degree of the old style legitimacy to the professional game. Yeah. And uh, he's been very successful. He mm-hmm. owns a lot of farmland, mm-hmm. and he stays in very close contact with Brad Rangens. And uh, I think I'm going to go up and see Brad here when he gets a little bit healthier. And, okay. and I think maybe Brock's going to come too. And a, a good friend of mine, Jim Dushin, who was a national champion and uh, helped train Brad when Brad was starting out oh, in amateur okay. wrestling. So anyway, yeah, no, that's that's great. Those are great stories. I uh, appreciate you sharing them with us. One more question: uh, I saw in your bio that you sent me you, you have a, a script in Hollywood called The Grappler. What is uh, what is that about? Well, yeah, good question. Um, I'm also friends with Randy Couture, okay. who your fans of the USC will know who he is. Yep. He's an absolute legend, just like Dan Severn. Mm-hmm. And Randy wrestled at Oklahoma State and uh, was in the NCAA Finals and made the world team in Greco. Mm-hmm. And when he got in the USC, his fame skyrocketed, mm-hmm. and he was very successful. And then he moved into movies, and he's been in... 13 or 14 movies, all three Expendables with Sylvester Stallone. Okay. And I wrote a script called The Grappler. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of based off Frank Gotch's early days in Iowa. Okay. But I turned Gotch, who was in his early 20s then, before he became world famous, into an older man in his four, late 40s. And he's trying to clear his name from a murder that they claim happened up in Alaska oh. in what was supposed to be a rigged wrestling match. <laughs> so he's traveling the Midwest under a fake name, uh, trying to find the only person that he knows can clear his name. But he has to keep moving from town to town so people don't see his picture and recognize him. And the people, there's a sheriff's posse from Alaska still looking for him, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> anyway, I present the story to Randy yeah. as an actor, and he loves it. So we decide, uh, I've got an agent in Hollywood, Jim Townsend. He's been out there about 30 years. Okay former amateur wrestler. So one day, Randy and his agent, and I and Jim Townsend, my agent, go on the CBS lot and meet a high-level producer and pitch the idea of the grappler. Mm -hmm. The meeting's supposed to be an hour, but we're there two and a half hours. Oh, wow. The guy, the producer, turns out is a fan of amateur wrestling. We walk in and sit down. The first thing he asks me, he says, you're from Iowa, right? And I said, yeah. I said, so you know Dan Gable? I said, yeah, I was with him two nights ago. <laughs> oh, wow. Then he turns to Randy and says, I'm a huge fan of yours. So that gets us off to a pretty good start. Yeah. When we come out of there, it's on the CBS lot, 
And I look up at the street sign, and it says Gunsmoke Lane. And I said to Randy and our two agents, we're home free, guys. Uh, <laughs> this is where Gunsmoke series was shot, and that's my all-time favorite TV show. Yeah. Well, we thought it was going to happen. It was up and down. Uh, the producer was all for it. Uh, I don't know why. Suddenly he lost interest. Randy went on to a couple other movie projects, but always maintained interest. Mm-hmm. And I had my health issues then, mm-hmm. and uh, I just kind of let it go. Yeah, uh, it's still out there. Yeah. It's registered with the Screenwriters Guild, okay. the Grappler, and uh, I think it's got great potential. Yeah, well, but so far it hasn't happened. But one thing I would like to tell you is a friend of mine named Kern Jacobs okay. was captain of the Michigan State University wrestling team in 2012. Okay. Graduated from Michigan State with a degree in theater arts. Went to Hollywood. Hooked up with Randy Couture. Has been in a couple very small roles in movies and TV series. Mm-hmm. Came back to... I met him. Mm-hmm. I told him about catch wrestling. He'd never heard of it. He became so enthused for catch wrestling, he started training on the West Coast. We held the Frank Gotts Catch Tournament in Humboldt. Mm-hmm. Uh, people came from all over to enter it. He won it, was named the Outstanding Wrestler. He won it again the next year. Then he won the United World Championships in New Jersey three years ago. He weighs 197, and he beat three guys that were over 240. Oh, wow. And had great backgrounds. One match lasted 31 minutes. He has made a documentary called For the Love of Catch. And he came down, I wrote the original script, and he came down here and stayed with me in the house here for a week. We went up to Frank Gotch's hometown. We shot film at Frank Gotch's old farmstead. We went to the beautiful home he owned that he bought after he beat Hackensmith the first time in 1908. He and his wife lived right there in the center of town. I know the people that own the house. Mm -hmm. They invited us in. We shot some footage in the house, Brian, and actually went upstairs and stood in the very room where Frank Gotch died oh, wow. in 1917. Wow. As we were coming down the steps, Kern, who's really good looking, he looks like Tom Cruise, <laughs> looked at me, put his hand on my shoulder, and he says, I'm feeling vibrations, my whole body's shaking. Wow. And the woman says, well, my kids and the husband say when anything strange happens in the house that Frank is mad at something. Then, 17 miles south of Humboldt is the town of Fort Dodge, Mm -hmm. and that's where Frank Gotch first met Farmer Burns, and Farmer Burns was taking on all all comers, and anybody could last 15 minutes, he'd give them $20, which was a lot of money then. Mm -hmm. That's where he first wrestled Gotch in this old armory. Well, we thought the armory was long demolished. I found out it's still standing. Wow. We got in there and took film of Curran standing on the stage, an old rickety stage, mm-hmm. shouting out to the empty arena, anybody in here want to wrestle? I'll pay you uh, $20 <laughs> if you can last 15 minutes with me. Wow. Then we went to Dan Gable's house in Iowa City and interviewed him about what he knows about Frank Gotch. Mm-hmm. Then we went to New Salem, Illinois, and stood on the very spot where Abe Lincoln wrestled uh, Jack Armstrong in 1832 and shot film there with my dear friend Mark Johnson, 1980 Olympian, three-time Greco-Roman national champ, head coach at the University of Illinois. Then we've got Randy Couture talking on camera, Josh Barnett, Mm -hmm. all kinds of other people, Dan Severn talking about catch wrestling. So... That, the documentary, has just been picked up by some major companies. I'm not at liberty to say who yeah, yet. Yeah, I understand. But there's going to be a world premiere from it later in the summer. Wow. And I'll see that you get invited to it, Brian. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I really appreciate that. One, okay. Well, you're doing great stuff. Oh, I appreciate you're, it. You're doing great stuff. I've been on a lot of podcasts mm-hmm. through the years, but when you and I first uh, corresponded, I could tell you you were interested in the history of the sport. Mm-hmm. And you know, Brian, that's all I'm really interested in. Yeah. 
I'm interested in history from Achilles to George Washington yeah. to Abraham Lincoln to Ronald Reagan to Frank Gotch uh, to Lou Thez. Mm-hmm. I just admire people who have made an impact yeah. in our culture. Yeah, no, so, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I looked at some of your podcasts and checked you out a little bit, and I thought, I'll be glad to do this. So well, thanks for asking me. Well, thank you for coming on here. I appreciate it. I know you're you're busy. You, you you're you're always doing something, and that and that's great. And um, like I said, I really appreciate you coming on here today and, and spending some time with us. And uh, hopefully, uh, we can uh, talk some more some other time soon. You know, I'd really appreciate it. Well, we covered a lot of ground today. We didn't did. We? we did. We did. I want to get up to that museum sometime. I want to check it out. Uh, it's. Uh, I've been online looking at it. Uh, it looks like a beautiful place and a lot of history behind there. So it really is. Yeah. And when you come up, you'll have to come right through Newton mm-hmm. and uh, let me know when you're coming. You okay. can come sit in Frank Gotch's chair and have <laughs> your picture taken. All right. Hey, I appreciate that. Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen. Mr. Mike Chapman, thank you, sir, for coming on today. I really appreciate it. It's been fun, Brian. You do a good job of interviewing, so thanks for having me. Well, thank you. And, folks, if you're listening, thank you so much. And subscribe, and we will talk to you soon.